0: Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. My guest today is Mark Evitz, who is an accomplished American composer, songwriter, musician, and producer working across the television, film, and music industries. Most recently, Mark served as composer and songwriter for the new Apple TV Plus's animated series Frog and Toad, based on the best-selling children's book. Following his early career work as a road musician playing with country music artists, Mark has established himself as a versatile songwriter and composer. His songwriting credits include co-writing Naza's single Brunch on Sundays, which he also performed on, from the Grammy-nominated album King's Disease II, and the game's single Violence. As a multi-instrumentalist, Mark has also performed on prestigious stages worldwide, including the Grand Ole Opry and Carnegie Hall. He has developed a unique sound that he incorporates into his own projects and has provided samples of these authentic sounds to create music software for virtual instrument companies like Outputs Arcade. And we are so grateful and lucky to have him to speak with us today. So Mark Evitz, thank you for being here and welcome to Musicians vs. the World.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so excited to talk with you just Learning about you and listening to your work, I cannot wait to just kind of dive in and see your approach to music and how it is that you do everything that you do. Yeah. Yeah, so first off, congratulations on Frog and Toad.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That music is so much fun, and it's so different, and but just fits so perfectly with the characters and everything. Oh, um, thank you. I just wonder... If you could talk a little bit about your background, because I could see that 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 music, I could tell, really comes from a history of music that you grew up with. So can you kind of explain where you got into music?
1: Sure. Yeah, it absolutely (laughs) does. I grew up uh, in a riverboat town um, called Paducah, Kentucky. Paducah is like the halfway point between like Chicago and New Orleans. So it's got this like um, jazz, like riverboat jazz is is like – you, you go downtown Paducah there's there's like you'll literally see street musicians playing like riverboat jazz kind of stuff, but it also has this like Appalachian bluegrass heritage as well. Kentucky's yeah. the home of bluegrass and so you see a lot of that as well as it's two hours from Nashville, Tennessee, so it's got a lot of country influences as well. So it's this sort of cauldron of of different music uh kind of influences that 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 are all in Paducah. And um, I I studied violin there, uh, classical in my middle school orchestra, and then took private lessons and then did that uh, until I got into uh, like fiddle music. I went to a fiddle camp. There was a... (laughs) Shocker. There was a cute girl that asked me if I, wanted to go to a, if I wanted to go to this music camp. And I, of course, said yes. I was like, yeah, of course. you know. So I went to this uh, fiddle camp in Nashville hosted by a guy named Mark O'Connor, who's a, an amazing, incredible fiddle player. And uh, I learned all kinds of different styles there. I learned bluegrass, obviously, but um, blues, country, jazz. And I just kind of took all these things from these different camps because it had, you know, all these different teachers. So I, I learned all, all these different styles. And I, um, I, I've always loved classical music, but I definitely put it to the side and said, okay, I want to play fiddle more. I want to find out what, what this is all about. And um, yeah, I then joined a rock band played in a rock band where I played fiddle and electric guitar for a rock band and then uh, moved to Nashville and with that band. And I, had a chance to work with a guy named Rodney Atkins and right after moving to Nashville I got a gig with Rodney and we were on the the biggest like country tour in the world we were we were the opener and this is like right after moving to Nashville I I get thrown into this gig where we were the opener it was us and then a country band known as Brooks and Dunn and then ZZ Top that was the package and so like I'm on I'm on these like massive stages I had been in this like kind of, not a local rock band but sort of a regional rock band and then i get thrown into this and it was definitely uh
0: wait how old uh, were
1: you so at this point i'm 20 let's see so i was with my band like 24 to i don't know 27 so i was probably like 26 27 oh something like that yeah it was it was pretty well actually i had i had played with a country artist right out of high school i did a um i was way too young to do this but it was like a national artist who had a number one and i knew the fiddle player and he said hey i'm gone for the weekend can you sub for me and i went and played uh up in uh new england like i think some vermont state fair i was 18 years old hopped on a bus a tour bus and like did a weekend with these guys and that was like i mean that was when i was like okay i'm i'm doing this for real, like this is this is the most amazing weekend the most amazing opportunity. I'm doing it. So I, I really pursued that. And I wanted to be in a rock band. And, I you know, I'm in my 20s. I just really wanted to be in a rock band. So oh, yeah. I, I, I joined this rock band playing fiddle. We did sort of like a southern southern rock kind of thing. And yeah. we had a we, we had a blast. But through those connections and through Rodney's connections, I, I started doing a lot more recording at home. And I was doing session work with people but i would come up with because of my classical background i was coming up with like string arrangements and i started working up like people that needed strings on a record i was like well i play violin let me let me just come up with these arrangements so i had really gotten into string arranging and i got a chance to work on um a show for nbc called smash Mm -mm. And Smash was uh, – I did all the strings for the second season of that show for – it was sort of like a side story that they had where um, they they just wanted strings and everything, like a string quartet, like in in, uh, almost every song. And so I got a chance to do that. That was executive produced by Steven Spielberg. Pretty incredible experience working on that show. And then I was like, I am hooked to working for film and TV. And so I was still touring. I was still – um doing sessions at home and still like producing records for for people but I really wanted to pursue film and TV. So in 2019 I had this idea and this is sort of a weird idea, but in 2019 I was like I'm going to get really good at Zoom and I'm going to try to figure out how I can do sessions remotely. So, I did this in September of 2019. Well, as we know, March of 2020 happens. I'm six months ahead of the curve on doing remote sessions. Wait, wait,
0: wait. So, first off, how had you even heard of Zoom in 2019? Right. And what made you think, oh, it would be a good idea to do this stuff remotely? I'm I'm telling you, I've
1: had, and I will say this... (laughs) Very openly. I've had one lucky break after the next. This was a very <laughs> lucky break I had. And so I I would literally, I had this idea. I was like, I'm really good at recording in my studio. I would love it if I could like just talk to people and figure out how to do everything from my studio and just like like see if I can communicate that way. And I I had like looked up software. I just said, is there, surely there's a company out there that does this. And so six months ahead of the curve on that, and um, so this is another lucky break. I had, in September of 2019, I had um, reached out to a bunch of different composers. I knew I wanted to do TV, film, that kind of thing. Okay. So I had reached out to a bunch of different composers, and one guy that reached back to me was a guy named Alex Garingas. And Alex, um, I I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and Alex... I had said, hey, I'm, I am I want to be a composer for film and TV, I've writing him this email. I'd love to, to you know, really explore that. C- could I take you out to coffee and hear how you do it? And Alex said, sure, come to my studio next Thursday. And I was like, I, I didn't want to tell him I lived in Nashville. I just knew I had to get on a plane. So I flew to L.A., <laughs> meet with meet with Alex, and I'm telling him, you know, I'm like, I'm a composer, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like really kind of. Pushing what I thought he wanted to hear. And, okay. and this is a really important, I think, thing for even young composers here. I, I was pushing what I thought he wanted to hear. And I wouldn't say he was bored, but I was boring, for <laughs> sure. I was super boring. And then finally I go, hey, man, I'm a fiddle player from Nashville, Tennessee, from Kentucky. And his eyes lit up. And he was like, whoa, now I'm hearing who you are and what you do. And he shows me this movie that he was working on called Arlo the Alligator Boy, which was a uh, animated feature for Netflix. And he said, and it was about this like swampy alligator. And he goes, hey, could you write me some like real fiddle heavy, swampy alligator cues? And I said, absolutely. And so he he gave me a bunch of cues. I co-wrote a bunch with him. And... Um, yeah, he, he then was like, "Hey, I want you to meet some people," and that's essentially how I got the gig with Frog and Toad. Is because it was me just putting myself out there. Let me see what I can do from my own home studio and just be me. And and that's what I that's how I ended up getting that gig.
0: Isn't that crazy? And it's and it wasn't that you were doing what you thought they wanted. It's that you were doing what you were good at, and they said we've got this project that fits you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I had I had a, um, I, I got a chance to meet with Apple, and they were like, "Hey, do, do, would you like to try out for this thing? Like a kind of a audition for this show?" And I sent in. I was originally hired as a songwriter, and so I sent in a song, and I said, "Here's how I would do it," and it was. Paducah, Kentucky. I mean, that's all I know how to say. It was my hometown music. Like it was like literally, you know, kind of a Dixieland banjo, clarinet, piano, yeah, the, the, all the things that I, that I knew growing up. And I sent that in. I go, here's how I would do it, and they loved it. And oh, yeah. and I ended up I ended up getting the songwriting uh, gig from it.
0: Isn't that amazing? No, wait. Did yeah. you play all those? You play the banjo and the clarinet and all that.
1: Uh, so I didn't play clarinet on it. I do play banjo. And then I think I, for clarinet on that one, I used a guy when I auditioned. And then for the rest of the show, actually, for, for certain parts, I used a guy named Alex Spiegelman, who is a, he's actually an amazing jazz clarinetist but he grew up in Brooklyn New York he's actually a klezmer he's like incredible at klezmer music and uh but he does a bunch of jazz stuff and mm-hmm. I called him up and I kind of told him what I was looking for I said here's here's the 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 music style we're looking for and I called him up remotely we worked remotely cinema track and he was great and I kind of edited and produced the part and and mm-hmm. uh yeah
0: did you write what he played or did you let him yeah. kind of improvise? You wrote what he played? Yeah, so so okay. a
1: hybrid. So what I would do is I would chart out a song and uh give him like the melody, here's the chart, and I would kind of come up with the base of the song and I would say here here's what we're looking for. And I would I would come up with the idea and I'd say which Alec is amazing at this I would say give me like six takes and let me hear you approach this in six different ways and then I would usually comp you know put it together and figure out how how do I put this together to, to make it work Alec is so good. Like, I mean, I, nine times out of 10, I'd hear Take One. I'd be like, that's it. Okay, we're done. You know, it's it was, it, it was so good and so perfect. And I had a couple other guys I worked with if it was a little beyond what I could do. Um, I had a guy named Tim Galloway, uh, who is, he's like the ACM Academy of Country Music guitarist of the year, but he did some banjo stuff for me. If it was beyond my scope on banjo or guitar, I had him do it. And I had a guy, Billy Nobel, who did piano stuff for me. Billy plays with um, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, does a ton of session stuff. And uh, he tours with those guys. And But he does session stuff around Nashville as well, does remote sessions. And so those are my three guys that I, I would hire and say, hey, this is a little bit beyond what my scope is for the score or the song that we're doing at this point. Let me see what you would do. And they're all the same. Nashville is wonderful that way. Alec is from New York, but Nashville is wonderful in the way that it's like, you have all these great players and it's, it's a, uh, it's just so many really, really good players that have a unique sound. And if you can find different players, I mean, it's not like, I I wish I could say, oh, I know three guitarists that are great. I I know a hundred guitarists that are phenomenal. And it's like, it's sometimes hard choosing, but If you find that unique sound, that unique style that would work better for the song, then you know who you can, you know, kind of choose from. But Tim worked awesome. Tim Galloway was an incredible banjo player for the show. Yeah. And guitar, banjo and guitar.
0: Yeah, and I think that that works really well with the music itself because it's very unique sounding. And maybe it's that kind of hodgepodge cauldron sort of sound that you were talking about from your hometown. But it was, you know, there would be some cues where I would listen. I'm like, oh, wow, this really sounds like Dixie. This is really fun. And then there would be something else that sounds completely, you know, like jazz, but it fits like it fits with like the mink or it fits with the toad. And all of a sudden you got this bassoon going because toad doesn't want to get out of bed. And I was like, this is (laughs) so cute. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you. Yeah, but it wasn't. You know, I think with children's shows, sometimes the music, it's easy to fall into, I don't know, stereotypical sort of cartoon music, but this yep. doesn't mm-hmm. do that. Oh, so, well, thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for making it fun for adults to listen to. So how um, how did you approach it so that it was like still good, but then it still did the points that young children's TV like needs to hit? You know what I mean? How'd you yeah. find that balance?
1: So that's a really good question. Um, let, me, let me say this. Everything I do is with a collaborative philosophy. So I'm going to say this and then I'm going to get into to, to what you think because I've set up a little bit of background. When I was hired as the songwriter, I had been on one show. I had done, or had done one episode. And then I was about to do my second. And I had a family trip planned to New Orleans. And I, I, emailed everybody on on the team for Frog and Toad, and I said, "Hey guys, I'm headed to New Orleans for the week. Might take me a second to respond to emails, but I'm I'm around." I get an email back immediately from the showrunner and executive producer, a guy named Rob Hoagie, and Rob says, "Guess where I am right now?" And I go, "Are you in New Orleans?" And he said, "Yeah." I said, where are you? I would love to. I, at this point, I'd, everything was virtual. I had never met the guy. This is another crazy luck thing. I'm, I'm telling you, it's wild. So I said, where are you right now? He gave me his address. I was one block away from him is where I was staying. What? So I end up, I go over to his place. We have like gin and tonics. And we're like hanging out talking about just industry, not even frog and toad. And there was a band playing on the street and I say you hear that like this is really cool how it's like just kind of like music playing it's not like it's just like music in the background while we're having a conversation just songs single instruments and we came up that night like literally came up with the idea and the sound for the show we started collaborating like well what if it was this what if it was this and we start going back and forth on ideas and Nashville is like known for co-writes. Like that's what we do. When you get, when you get to town, everybody says, Hey, you want to write together. It's like a kind of a cliche in Nashville. And that's the approach I took. I'm like, I'm going to write it with this guy. I'm just the songwriter, but I'm going to be the composer of the show. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this gig as composer as well. Because at the time, I wasn't the composer. I was only oh. the songwriter. And okay. so I'm like, I want to do the underscore as well. And so I started working with him and saying, this is how I want the show to sound. And he agreed with me. So then when it came time for the sound of the show and they, we were doing an audition for the score, I'd already worked it out with him. I'd already told him. So I did what I thought the way would be. And I ended up ultimately getting getting the job as composer as well. So back to your original question, how did I approach that? I approached it in that way. So what I did was I would take a song. I would write a song that I thought fit best for the scene. And then I, I would literally, I would write it. And then I would go back and I'd take a second go back to it and i would say okay how do i make this hit the action more how do i make this a little bit more cartoony not to where it's like total cartoony but my base is not cartoony my base is what's a song on the street in new orleans what's a song on the street in paducah what's the song that would work for this scene just a song Mm -hmm. and then i'm gonna carve away and then i'm gonna like come up with the best sound for the scene And so that was sort of my approach to it. And I just tried to like, I would give a basic song. Here's what it's going to sound like. And then I would shape it. I would shape it to the picture to make it work better with the scene.
0: Oh, how interesting. So that's kind of your producer chops coming in. Yes,
1: absolutely. That was like, that's what my, my background is in, is producing music. And I would just take a song and like, how do I produce a song? How do I do this? And then let me try to get this to picture.
0: Okay. Yeah, cuz you hear sometimes you hear composers will will start from the picture and work around that, but you started with the music that explains so much about it.
1: Yeah, and it, and, and I'm definitely like writing to the scene. I'll say that. Like of if it's if it's that I'm writing to the scene. And one of the things that we talked about as far as like instrument-wise, one of the things we we kind of determined was Rob and I said we wanted to have like sort of a Peter and the Wolf approach where each uh, a character has like sort of their own motif, their own musical identity. And how do we make that work into it? I would assign different instruments to different, different characters. So for example, there's a snail and anytime snails talking, a snail is very slow, but snail, the, 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 script is, is like, wow, we're really zooming today. And it's like <laughs> all these things that are opposite of snail. So one person could take like a really slow approach towards a snail, but I'm like, I'm going in the snails perspective. He's zooming. So anytime there's a snail, you'd hear like a banjo or something <laughs> up tempo. And it was always like, cause I'm like, I'm in snails brain right now. How do I write yeah. a music for this, this character to, to do, you know, his, his perspective or his or her yeah. perspective. And, and, and how do I get that to where it's like kind of flows with the character?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's so cute. Well, and that snail has to be one of my favorite characters of the whole. Oh thing. yeah, because he's so energetic and he's trying to work so hard and he's trying to go so fast yeah. and he's just like, oh yeah. The music fits really, really well with that. Was there any, um, was there any scene or any uh, episode that was like your favorite to score? Mm-hmm. You know,
1: um, so I'll say this: I they're all they're all phenomenal, and it was all. Really a privilege to do. But I'll say in episode two, there's an ice cream song. And I'm gonna say the song part of it because this was like a kind of a monumental moment for me. I I write this song for Mink, and it's about all these different ice cream flavors. And when I wrote it, I did there was no picture to it. It was just I was given a script. So I write this song about all these different ice cream flavors. And I demoed the vocal. I I sang on it and I produced all the, the, the track and and did it. And then there was a, a point where the talent vocal would come in and replace my vocal with, with what the character would sing. And so the vocal on the ice cream song was Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny is the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. So I'm on a zoom. And it's like, you know, 30 people and it's all it's I'm, I'm supposed to be producing Tom Kenny, one of the greatest voiceover actors ever in the history of animation. And I'm on a Zoom and it's like 30 people. And Tom, the sweetest person in the world, is like saying, Mark, I really like your song. And I'm going, hmm, this is weird. I'm in another universe right now. <laughs> and then he goes about singing it a trillion times better than I did. He added character. He added energy. And it was just one of those moments where I'm going, pinch me. What what am I doing here? This is incredible. Not only am I working with one of the greatest voiceover actors of all time, I'm also working with this crew is incredible. Like yeah. <laughs> These people are amazing. So that for me was such a standout moment because I, I just was like, and literally after he sang it like my job is to say hey do that part again there was nothing to do again he was perfect and i was just like i mean if you want to give it another shot you can but that was <laughs> the first one was great you know and it was <laughs> it was like one of these moments that i was just like you know oh, what am i doing how did i end up here because this is a dream
0: well it seems like you've had quite a few of those types of moments i have yeah. I have. Are you getting accustomed to having those kind of moments now or? Uh, no, no, I'm not. Okay, good. I'm happy to hear that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, those this I have these this this kind of thing in me that like anytime I'm a- around these kind of like really big bigger moments I, I tell myself, first of all, I, I don't, for some weird reason, I never really get nervous around that. And I don't know what that is. that That's a, a defect, but it, it's like, I never <laughs> get really nervous around in those situations. And I always just say, okay, they're here working. They're doing their job. Let me just, I'll, I'll approach them as that. But the whole time it's like, I've got a video camera on and I'm like, take a video of this moment. Like, cause this is not something to forget. This is something to to have and to to cherish because not everybody gets to do these kind of things. And And you are a really lucky and blessed guy that you get to have these moments. So I, I never really, like, I mean, the first time I ever played the Grand Ole Opry, for right. se. Like yeah. I was with Rodney Atkins and we were standing on stage and it's, I'll never forget it. He got up on stage. We played our first song. I get done playing and he, Rodney says, well, we're here. You made it. It's Saturday night at the Grand Ole Opry. And I just became like, I was like about to sob crying. Like, I'm like, Oh my God. You know, like one of those kind of moments. And (laughs) it was truly, truly astounding. Like, I was just like, I have worked my entire life to get to this moment. And I'm here. What do I do now? Like what do I how do I approach this? And I was like just focus, do the job, and then like celebrate after it. And so mm-hmm. that's been sort of my approach through through everything. It's like, okay, you're here, enjoy it, do the work. Don't don't not do the work. Right. Do yeah. the work and just afterwards say I'm going to have like I, I'm going to eat – well, for me, I eat an ice cream sandwich. That's like my little treat <laughs> for myself. I'm like, I'm going to have an ice cream sandwich after this. It's like I'm am I'm a six-year-old boy, but I, that is like my treat. And I quite literally do that. I go and I'm like, I'm going to go have an ice cream sandwich after this. Well, see, this.
0: that's why your ice cream song was so good. Well, there
1: you go. Yeah, I've never put that together. That's funny.
0: <laughs> it's your emotional connection to it's ice cream. It's my emotional
1: connection for Sure.
0: That is amazing. Now, tell me about this time you performed at Carnegie Hall. How'd you end up there?
1: Yeah, so I was actually working with a guy who had written a bluegrass mass and he had a choir, but he wanted a bluegrass band playing with it. And he reached out to me. I forgot how, I'm trying to think of how I even met this guy. I think it was like a friend of a friend had recommended me. And he was like, I literally don't even have a bluegrass band. I heard you could put a bluegrass band together for me. So I called up a ton of my friends and I said, hey, guys, do you want to play at Carnegie Hall? There's a, a thing going. And so I put together a band and we played this guy's bluegrass mass. And it was it was really good. And the choir was was phenomenal. But that, again, as a classical violinist growing up as classical violinist, it's like, you know, uh, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Like, it's like, it's one of those things. And I, walking out on stage of that was another one of those moments in New York. I, I walked out on stage before it ever started and I was just looking around and I was like, whoa. And there was nobody there and I started playing and I was just like, this is this is truly incredible.
0: That is incredible. So the way to get to Carnegie Hall is to get really good at bluegrass. <laughs>
1: That's how I had to do it. <laughs> Got but it. I think I think everybody I think everybody has their own journey to that, you know. Right. And it's if you see some of the greatest of all time, they were true to themselves. They had they had their own voice. They did that. You know, classical music is such a, a beautiful, beautiful, rich heritage of music that I always hate. You know, kind of like the whole my philosophy is like I, I try to be genre bending. Like I, I don't yes. really like people that are like, oh, I do this. This is all I do. Like, no, you don't. You could play classical music, but also listen to Kiss, you know? I mean, you're always influenced. You're always having tons of of influences in you, and that's going to influence who you are. And that's fantastic, you know? Mozart wasn't only influenced by Bach. Bach was a big influence for Mozart, but that wasn't his only influence. And so, it's like Mozart's best operas were also influenced by the folk music of the day. And and there's like tons of like worldly influences that are kind of coming into that to make Mozart one of the greatest composers of all time, you know? So I kind of take that approach.
0: Yeah, I think that's really smart. Honestly, I think a lot of classical musicians do love other types of music, but sometimes mm-hmm. they're just afraid to admit that they do.
1: Definitely with the classical musicians I know, they they end up saying – after after some poking and prodding, they'll they'll come out and say that they went to see whatever band you know oh, yeah. uh, live. But yeah, I personally like I've been listening to so much. I do I do a lot of folky kind of music and music with with like real instruments and that kind of stuff. I, I do a lot of that and. I've been listening there's, there's, a. I'm giving a plug to this website, but it's a website called All of Bach. I don't know if you're familiar with no, that, but um, I think it's the Netherlands Bach Society or something. And they do these great, incredibly well-recorded audio and video s- versions of Bach stuff. And they're doing like his entire, his entire catalog, everything oh. a box. And they're, they're doing it all in like churches and stuff that were around during the time, all with instruments of the era. Oh, that's and, cool. I could be wrong, but I think they're tuning it to the, the not 440, but like a like whatever box tuning was. Um, and I listened to that so much and I go, oh, this is the tonality of these instruments is so cool and so unique and so interesting. And how can I take this and put it into a hip hop song? How can I take this tonality and put it into a pop song? What can I do from because like, because I listen pretty closely to like how is that the top end of that violin how are they getting that sound you know so anyway that's that's one of my secret go-to's is that website I go to it like all the time
0: No kidding okay I want you to expand on that so what you, so you're just listening to like the tonality or maybe the color they're getting out of the instrument and you're gonna go put that in the next nas song is that
1: yeah for sure really? I, I I do that yeah I'll a lot of times I'll try to figure out. You know, how can I take my instrument that's not one of these instruments? Right. How can I go in and alter the EQ, alter the compression? How can I go in to try to make this sound identical to that? And then once I have that, I say, okay, now what can I do with it? Now I've got this as my bass. What kind of creation can I do with that? And I do that for a lot of stuff. You know, the Beatles records, especially like Eleanor Rigby. I went through and uh, charted it all out. The entire, I listened to it, charted out the entire string. I think it was an octet. Yeah, I think it was like double quartets, what they did on that. So I went through and charted all that out. And then I went through and I said, okay, how do I make it tonality the exact same as that? And then I set that as a template for me. And I've used that same template. As for creating, um, I think I did a hip-hop song that was on Judas and the Black Messiah, that soundtrack. I had written a song on there, co-written a song on there, that I used from that Beatles thing. I used the tonality of that to, to kind of incorporate that into hip-hop.
0: Isn't that amazing? See, that's what I love about producers is that you can take existing things and you and using the eq compression all that you can just kind of create this completely different sound that's yeah. very unique and mm-hmm. so even like a pop song that may just not have much of a you know a chord progression sound sure. completely new like completely uh, interesting
1: Absolutely you know and I would encourage any of your listeners to to I'm a huge fan of people creating and people making stuff, and it's like you know, if anybody can can go in and create something new, a new tone, a new color that's not been heard before, like it it ain't coming from me. I'm I'm doing what I'm doing, and I and that's a limited thing. And it's like I want to see so many more people like come through and and create new stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's what music does. It always absolutely. It's always creating new things. It's everywhere in music. We're trying to do that. I love it that you are genre bending then
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying you know
0: <laughs> well it sounds like from your stories you're succeeding very very well <laughs> very well Mark this has been such a pleasure chatting with you as we finish up do you have any last minute um, words of advice for upcoming musicians someone who wants to be doing what you're doing
1: yeah I would say meet as many people as possible and whenever you do have your story to tell whenever you you meet new people and i mean i take i'm literally going to coffee this afternoon with some with somebody anytime i meet new people i'm always like how do i tell my story how do i collaborate how do i work with other people you know the, the thing is it's like if preparation meets opportunity will equal success if you're if you're prepared and you know who you are and you have an opportunity it's going to be successful
0: great Case in point, your whole life, your whole thing,
1: you've had these <laughs> well, that's, that's my story for sure. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you have had these opportunities, you've been prepared for it, and you've had this amazing success. Congratulations on everything that you've been working on, and on Frog and Toad, and on all of your wonderful productions and everything. Um, it's just Thank been you. such a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much for being here.
1: It's been an extreme honor to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians vs. the World podcast in our conversation with Mark Evitz, composer, producer, string arranger, and songwriter. In this episode, you've heard excerpts from his newest project, Frog and Toad, which currently can be found on Apple TV+. I'll have links to this project, along with many of the other collaborations Mark has been involved with, in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash world. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. You can also find a video version of this interview on our Musicians vs. the World YouTube channel. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.